So when I was 13 years old, I had saved up my lawn mowing money and I bought a Honda XR100 dirt bike. It's the perfect little motorcycle for a 13 year old because where I lived outside of Gig Harbor, Washington, our backyard just became trees. We, we just so happened to, to buy this house. It was not a huge yard, but the, the trees were Pope and Talbot forestry land that had been logged a long time ago. So all these massive second growth trees were there and it was a thousand acre wood. Uh, just, just mazes of logging roads and trails and awesome terrain to explore on a dirt bike. And so um, there were just, you know, the basic rules, I had to wear a helmet, I had to tell mom and dad where to go. But then my dad gave me two more guidelines. He said, the first one was that I was not allowed to wear shorts when riding the, the dirt bike. I, at 13 years old, anyone else resonate? That's all you wore in short, it was shorts. That's, a, that's, all I, uh, that's all I would wear, so that was a, a tough guideline. The second guideline was I was supposed to always wear closed-toed shoes when riding the dirt bike. And this one, he, he gave a story. And he said, you know, the neighbor across the street, this kid that was two years older than me, he has a dirt bike and he had a friend on the back of that dirt bike wearing flip-flops and their foot got stuck in the spokes and the foot got all mangled as you can imagine. And I don't even know if that story was true or not, (laughs) but guess which of those guidelines I followed. I still have a faint scar on my right calf from where the muffler burned my leg from wearing shorts while wearing the motorcycle. But my feet, I've got all my digits on my feet. Why did I follow dad's guidelines on the closed-toed shoes and not the other one? Uh, They're both good guidelines. They both had a cost for not following. Uh, Chalk it up maybe to my 13-year-old feeling of invincibility, but probably it was that story that just freaked the heck out of me. I still cringe when I think of that foot. Now we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark for the better part of 2023, and Jesus has been doing all sorts of things in this story so far. He's been healing and casting out demons. He's been setting people free from from bondage to sin and shame, and Jesus has been declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God, and yet there are still people who were hearing him, but they weren't listening to him. People that were hearing the message of Jesus and seeing the things he was doing, but they had not yet come to trust in him. And the the problem is this, that there's, there's a cost. There's a cost for ignoring the good news of Jesus. Like Jesus is not neutral. He's not one option among many options. He's not just a nice guy with the good advice that you can take or leave. Jesus is doing nothing short in the gospels of claiming that he's king, the savior, the way, the truth, and the life, and he's presenting us with good news if we respond to him. The text we're gonna be exploring this evening uh, is a parable, and and, and parables are stories that are often derived from everyday circumstances. They're not not allegories in in the sense of a, a classic allegory. In a classic allegory, every detail in the story has a meaning that has nothing to do with the story. Uh, You can read yourself into an allegory and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. But parables, on the other hand, draw us into the story. We might relate to certain characters or situations in the story, but only to the point uh, that, that the main point is being made to us. But here's the most important thing to know about a parable. Parables were told with the sole purpose of exacting a response. They're told to get you to think and to get you to respond. 
And even a non-response is in a form of a response. So here's the setting. Jesus has been teaching, and at the end of chapter three, his mothers and brothers and sisters come to this house where he's teaching. It's full, there's people spilling out of the house to the outside, and they come to take custody of Jesus because they think he's kind of, he might be mad. They're worried about him because he's making people mad who are in positions of power. And some of the religious leaders are saying, this guy Jesus, I'm not so sure he's teaching the right things about scripture. And so Mary and his family come and they come to take custody of Jesus. And someone tells Jesus, hey, your mom's out there, your family's out there. And he takes a moment to look around to everyone who is listening to him. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Behold, my mother and my brothers and my sisters are those, are those who hear um, and do the will of God. And what is the will of God? Well, Jeff just read from Mark 9, the will of God is to listen to Jesus. Here's where the story picks up. Mark 1, one or Mark 4, 1 through 25. And I would encourage you just to stand as I read, um, just to kind of, yeah, Stay awake. And one thing you could do is follow along or close your eyes and try and imagine the scene. So he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered to him, and he got into a boat in the sea, and he sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea, and they were on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and he was saying to them, listen to this. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell alongside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil, but after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Now, some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, even a hundredfold. And he was saying, the one who has ears to hear, listen. Now, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, they began to ask him about the parables. And he said to them, you know, to you it's been given the mystery of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, they get everything in parables. And then he quotes this Isaiah 6 passage. Here it goes. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And that while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, you know, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, there are the ones who have, uh, the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no firm root in themselves. It's only temporary. And then when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. 
And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those were the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, even a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, you know, a lamp is not brought in and put under a basket or under a bed. It's put on a lampstand, right? It's, it's nothing is hidden except that which will be revealed. Nor has anything been in secret that will not come into the light. If anyone has ears to hear, listen. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and the more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to them more will be given, and to whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. And this isn't in the Bible, but I'll just say it again. Those with ears to hear, listen. You may be seated. Now you may be one of those people that actually looks at the bulletin and you may have seen that the sermon title says this is Mark 1, or Mark 4, 1 through 25, part one. So in part two, I'm gonna go into like the soils and all the, like explaining all the, that, those parts of the parable. That's part two. Wait for it. But in this one, I wanna talk about this twice repeated command in verse three and nine, Listen to this. And those who have ears to hear, listen to this. And Jesus' disciples ask him privately, why do you speak to people in parables? To which Jesus replies with this cryptic, weird saying, to you it's been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, they get everything in parables. And then Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter six, one of these prophets that wrote about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he says, so that while seeing, they may see and not understand, not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear, but not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now this response, if it's confusing to you, it's confused every generation since. Some people have gone so far as to suggest that Jesus is trying to confuse people as if he wants them to be judged. But as we'll see, you can't possibly come to that conclusion if you take Isaiah and the rest of scripture easily. It's my job to help see what's going on here. So first of all, why parables in the first place? We talked about it a little bit a moment ago, but parables are meant to do a lot more than just pass information. They're meant to help people see and respond. Parables are not as clear as just plain old teaching. That's, I mean, that's just clear. If Jesus had only spoken in parables and in riddles, you might think that only certain people who were smart enough or clever enough would ever have an opportunity to understand what Jesus was saying. But that's not the case when we read the Gospels, right? When not speaking in parables, which is a lot of the time, Jesus is direct as they come. He says things like, repent and trust in the Gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
follow me. Like, that's pretty clear. He does things like healing and exorcisms where there's no sleight of hand. His teaching and his deeds are so clear that they caused awe and wonder by some and invoked controversy in others, but the one thing that didn't ever happen to our knowledge is people encounter Jesus and say, that's kind of cool, and just move on. Like, it, it, it made you think. If anyone was clear and straightforward, it was Jesus. The problem was, is that people were not coming to the right conclusions about Jesus. The crowds who were in awe and wonder over the things he was saying and doing, they wanted to make him king, but the kind of king they wanted him to be, which is a, 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 a ruler, a, a military leader who was going to conquer Rome. The religious leaders heard him and saw him and said, no doubt he's doing some interesting stuff, some powerful stuff, but it must be from the power of Satan or something because he's not interpreting the Bible the way we interpret the Bible. So he must be wrong. And so Jesus taught him parables to help people think. With parables, you have to do a little bit of work to find the truth. But once you find the truth, you actually own it. It's yours. It's not parroted by somebody else. It's like this, a bit like this, not quite, because this isn't a parable. Um, anyone would just want to volunteer? I just have two questions for you. Simple questions. Yeah, what is your name? <laughs> My name's Dustin. Dustin, that is a surface direct question. This is Dustin. Here's another question, Dustin. Who is Dustin? Love it. One of the two grandfathers of Drew here tonight. And something tells me in Dustin's eyes that there's a rabbit hole to that question. We could, we could go all night, right? And th this is a deep man with lived some years, has a wonderful family, right? So the, the, the questions, one is a direct, here's the, here's the truth, here's the fact, but asking it in a different way, it, it shows you there's a depth to it. And that's that's kind of what parables do. Parables are a way of teaching that, that take you down the rabbit hole. I guess another, another question we could ask is, you know, are you, are you a follower of Jesus? And someone out there, a lot of you, uh, say you are followers of Jesus, but what if I were to say, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and see, we, we would have lots of different ways of explaining that, and I, I bet you there would be some similarities but some differences too because of your experience following Jesus and the way that that looks for you and your vocation and your age and your family and your, all of that stuff matters. Parables are a bit like that. The word parable is a Greek word made up of two parts. It's got a prefix, para, which is where we get the word parallel. It just means like this, para. And then balo is a Greek word that means to throw. And so what that word parable really means, literally, is to throw something down alongside another thing. It's a compare and contrast. A parable is a story that Jesus is throwing down next to your life, next to your worldview, next to the way that you perceive reality. And he's asking you to, to see how it, how it shapes up how, does it make, how do these stories make sense of each other? That's what a parable does. 
parables also kind of tell it slant. They're like a Trojan horse that gets through your defenses. 13-year-old me, I'm gonna wear shorts the minute my dad's not looking, (laughs) right? Sorry, I've got the scar to prove it. Kids, don't do that. That was the direct approach, right? Any of you with 13-year-olds, well, of course, my awesome kids, but um, any of you with regular 13-year-olds, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, just try and say it direct. It's probably not gonna get through the defenses, but that story, man, about the mangled foot that I don't even know is true anymore. My dad doesn't remember telling me that story, but I wore closed-toed shoes because it got slant. It was like behind my defenses. It got in there inside, and that's what parables do. They're designed to open closed minds and hearts. Parables make you squirm because they reveal a little bit about who you really are. In the parable of the soils, the good listener will ask ourselves, I wonder which soil I identify with. Am I receptive to the word of God? Again, we're going to do the soils next week, so wait for it. And the parables, finally, they make us respond. Like they can offer mercy, grace, and good news, but if we reject what's going on, we can't receive the mercy and the grace. There are consequences whenever the word of God is proclaimed, whether through a prophet or a preacher or a parable or reading the Bible. You have basically two responses when you're encountering, encountering the word. You can listen, which means to seek to understand and to act on that understanding. If you listen, if you seek to understand, then you're on this path of life. The consequence is life and fruitfulness. The, in the parable of this, this one tonight, it's, a yield of fruitfulness, 30, 60, 100 fold, which is a ridiculous amount of yield. Or you can hear and not listen, read and not understand, or understand and not obey. And the consequence for that is further hardening of our hearts, and eventually our senses become dull to the point where we can't, we can't see clearly anymore or, or understand at all. And that road leads to death. I think that's why Jesus quotes this little snippet from Isaiah 6 in his answer to the, to the disciples. Basically, what he's saying there is that the punishment fits the crime. You see, the people Isaiah was addressing way back then were intentionally hardening their hearts to the message of God. They were practicing idolatry. And God's warning over and over again in the, in the Hebrew scriptures is that those who worship idols will become like them. These idols are these little statues that represent other gods and, and little, little bronze statues or wooden statues and, and the scriptures repeatedly say, you know, if you keep going after idols, you'll be like them. You'll have eyes that can't really see, like a statue can't really see and you'll have ears that can't really hear and mouths that can't really proclaim anything. You'll become dead and dull. That's what your heart will become like. And it's basically like a judgment by starvation from the word of God. The people in Jesus' day believed themselves to be the chosen remnant, the seed of the stump left over from Isaiah's prophecy. They viewed themselves as inherently destined for rescue from their enemies. And then Jesus came saying, yes, God loves you. He's come to rescue you, but it's not gonna look exactly like you think it's gonna look. You need to listen. You need to repent and follow me in order to be rescued. If you don't, if you don't, then you'll, you'll be hardened just like your ancestors were. 
And your sentence will be blindness and deafness and hardness of heart toward following God. And I think we can see in these parables that Jesus is not intending to confuse us. These parables are intending to bring people to decision. If you're waffling about Jesus, the parables will send you reeling in one direction or another. But one thing they won't let you do is just not reckon with him. But if the parables are not primarily intended as judgment, why then do the disciples get special treatment, apparently? Why do they get the parables explained to them? Why, as the text says, do those who have more get more revelation, and those who do not have get even what little shred they have taken away? I don't get that. It is weird. It is weird, because we don't talk in Proverbs anymore. But in ancient Proverbs, that type of language was common. And here's the idea. The disciples were listeners. They didn't fully grasp who Jesus was at that time. They didn't fully get what was going on, but they left everything to find out. They had a little bit of faith, and more was given. And Jesus taught in the open. He performed his deeds, his mighty deeds in public. Those who didn't believe were not willing to fully follow. They weren't willing to receive more. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase puts it well. Uh, When they were off by themselves, those who were close to him along with the 12 asked about these stories, and he told them, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works, but to those who can't see Everything comes in stories, creating readiness, nudging them toward receptive insight. That's what the stories are for. These are people whose eyes are open, but they're not seeing a thing, whose ears are open, but they don't understand a word, who avoid making an about face and receiving forgiveness. But you have God-blessed eyes, eyes that see And God blessed ears, ears that hear. You know, a lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, they would have given anything to see what you're seeing, to hear what you're hearing, but they never had the chance. And Jesus went on, does anyone bring a lamp home and put it under a wash tub or beneath a bed? Don't you put it on a table or on the mantle? We're not keeping secrets here, says Jesus. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing them out into the open. Are you listening? Really listening? Then he says, listen carefully to what I'm saying and be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you how to get ahead in the world on your own. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes, end quote. I think the question before us, raised by this type of parable, is are we listening to Jesus with intent to trust him? Are we listening to Jesus with intent to follow him? Are we listening with Jesus with intent to know him? Thus far, you and I have probably been just reading the story, right? We've been watching 
as uninvested observers. We're listening to the parable. I wonder who's those soils, who represents those soils. I wonder who gets it or not. Maybe we feel a little bit envious of the disciples. Wow, those disciples, how cool must that have been for them to be there with Jesus and to get that explanation in person? They had such faith to get that understanding. Their eyes and their ears must have been blessed. How special. But what I'm coming to see, what I hope you're coming to see, is that we're the blessed ones. That we're in some ways even more blessed than the disciples themselves. By having this text, we're getting an inside track. We're getting the private tutorial from Jesus. And we know things that the disciples could have never known at this point in the story. That Jesus himself is the seed. That, that, That Jesus is sowing the good news that he is the way and the truth and the life. The disciples could never have known at this point in the story that Jesus would die for us, even in our unbelief. That Jesus would take our sin and the consequences of rebellion on himself. That Jesus would be resurrected from the dead and now reign over his church around the world. They could never have yet experienced the Holy Spirit available to them like the Holy Spirit is available to all who believe and are baptized today. Are we listening? It strikes me as significant, you guys, that Jesus calls us to listen, to know him, to relate to him. Notice that Jesus is not asking us to believe in him like you believe in a mathematical equation or a physical constant. I can experience gravity uh, and its force without ever having met Newton, right? I can believe in the theory of relativity without ever having known Einstein or even liking Einstein. Like, it's irrelevant. Believing in those concepts is irrelevant to the people who brought them to light. But I can't be a follower of Jesus without actually listening to him, without sharing my life with him. Tonight, we've baptized Drew Wilson, not because he came to a certain point where he believed in the proper facts, but because he came to love Jesus and to place his trust in him. And the good news here for us, I think, is twofold. The first one is just so graceful. Like, you don't have to pass a seminary exam. Oh, thank your lucky stars for that. You don't have to know a certain list of dogmas in order to follow Jesus. And so for every one of us, and I'm using the inclusive us, for every one of us who feels like you don't know enough, maybe you struggle conceiving of exactly how the Trinity works, we'll join the club. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. But the second is that the good news is we have a God who does communicate, who does speak, who loves us and wants to relate to us. You know, next week we're actually going to take a break. Now I'm really making you wait for this part too. It's actually going to come in two weeks. <laughs> next week we're going to take a break. We just thought this listening piece was so important. Um, and because it's a fifth Sunday and we're doing a special uh, service of worship and prayer, we're going to do a lot of music, but then we're also going to pause and we're going to do uh, some Lectio Divina, some holy listening in church with all ages. And so don't worry, I won't have like super long moments of silence, but we're just going to get a little taster for those of you who haven't done it in a while or have never experienced Lectio Divina. 
But I just thought about, it's, it's almost malpractice for me to be talking about, hey, we should listen to Jesus and then like, peace out, have a great week. Like if you don't, maybe you just, let's just practice it as a community, why not? Because there's ways to listen to the text, to the voice of Jesus in the Bible that are, you know, like our, our didactic ways of approach, our, our, uh, our Bible study, our Western way of doing Bible study, they're just not gonna give us. And so I think that's important. So you hope you can come next week and we'll do some listening together. But as we consider a response to this message, let me encourage you toward two action steps. For those of you who are like, what, I want to do something. Okay, Americans, here we go. Here's your two action steps. <laughs> Sorry, I'm one of them too. So yeah. First, I, j- just tonight, tomorrow, this week, ask yourself, like, where do you how are you doing with Jesus? How have you listened to his call to follow, to trust, to obey? How are you doing at receiving his love for you? Like, ask that real question. That's a hard one for a lot of us. We live in a culture that is constantly telling me I've got to earn I've got to earn my friendships, the praise of other people, my worth, my value. Jesus loves you without you doing anything. I still wrestle with how to receive that. So I think that's a good question for us. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to listen to the scriptures this week in a a different way in a different way. In particular, consider listening to Jesus. So whether that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, pick one of the Gospels, and try not reading a chapter, try not only reading just like a chapter or two of Jesus' words and stories, but like listen to him. Like what if he was telling you that story? What if he was speaking to you? You know, like for most of church history, that's how people read the Bible, because they didn't read the Bible. They heard it. Most time periods in church history, people didn't have their own copies of the Bible. We couldn't just do personal Bible studies. So we would get together in a community and somebody who was literate would read and the rest of us would listen. That's a very different experience to just me trying to study what the meaning and the context is. That's all important, obviously. I love to do that. But it's not the same as listening. I want to encourage us this week to throw his life, his message down in parallel next to ours and and to just ask, Jesus, what are you saying to me in this moment? What might you be inviting me into? Lord, thank you for revealing yourself in so many ways. But thank you for the scriptures I do thank you, Lord, that we each can have a copy of the Bible. I thank you that there's lots of great ways that we've learned how to study the Bible and to think well about language and culture, context. But Lord, I also confess my own desire sometimes to control the text to feel like I can understand it and have mastery over it. 
I pray that, Lord, that you would help me this week and my sisters and brothers to hear you in the text, to be mastered by it, not masters of it. Amen.